Hi, Chase here. I'm currently deep into editing this week's episode of Talking Tolkien, and I want to go ahead and tell you that there were some issues while we were recording this week's episode. My audio and Katie's audio had some really bad static and crackling to it, which have been cleaned up to the best of my ability. You will still notice that Katie's audio still has some weird rustling whenever she speaks, and my audio has the same and gets a little quiet near the end. I apologize for the issues, but we did our best to clean up this week's episode to make sure it's listenable, and I can most assuredly say that it is. Once again, I apologize and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Talking Tolkien. Welcome back to another episode of Talking Tolkien. Today, we're discussing Chapter 9 of Book 2 of the Two Towers, Shelob's Lair. So, as always, we're going to start off with Katie, who's going to catch us up on Today in Middle-Earth and Elvish Word of the Day, then go over to Chase, who will briefly recap the events that we covered in last week's readings. Then, we will spend most of today's episode talking about, once again, Chapter 9 of Book 2 of the Two Towers, Shelob's Lair, at the end segueing into our favorites, both from the text and from the past week of our lives. I'm John. I'm Katie. And I'm Chase. All right, Katie. Well, you want to take it away? Today is May 19th. Yes, so today, May 19th, not a whole lot happened actually on this day, but just kind of a fun little crossing over between uh, two of the stories that we've read thus far. On the 16th of May in the year 2941, so back to our Hobbit adventure, um, the company, that's including Bilbo and his dwarf friends, uh, passed by Amonsul, which, as we know, of course, is Weathertop. Um, and just fun fact, if you wanted to know, in Sindarin, Amonsul is Hill of Wind. Um, and yeah, if we recall, of course, Frodo later on, about 60 years later, was stabbed on Weathertop. Uh, so it's just kind of an interesting little tidbit. Bilbo passed by that place this time. That That is an interesting bit of tid. Bit of tid. Yeah, uh, and uh, moving on to Elvish Word of the Day, I took a cop-out word today. Yay, oh. me. Is it spider? Yes, it is. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I chose spider today, which, of course, as we know, is ungal. All right, so, creepy so, crawly. So in Cinderin, unguliant is like spider thing. Yeah, like spider, spider, bro- spider demon thing. <laughs> spider spider. I mean, in Greek mythology... Rachne was turned into a spider, and then all spiders are Arachna. Arachna. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Funny how words then, are things. Yeah. And then in Mass Effect trilogy, the like evil space bugs were the Rachni. Boy, how clever! And it's, we haven't talked about Mass Effect in a long time in this podcast, and now is not the time to start no, again. No, no, Chase, no. what did we do last week? It wasn't the Crossroads. That was the one before. This was this was this was the one I read five thousand years ago. Um, it was the moment when they were actually ascending the stairs of spider. I can't remember. <laughs> stairs I can't remember of the, spider. What, the name? what was this? I what mean, was the Elvish name? For I mean, that's right. There's, yeah, stairs of Kirith Ungol. Kirith Ungol. They were ascending Kirith Ungol, and we got a great, great moment between Frodo and Sam about storytelling, 
and the effect of stories in the future and wondering what it's like to be one of those people in those stories and how do you know that sort of stuff. And, oh yeah, so they passed by Minis Morgul. Yep. Yep. And quick reminder, we know what Ungol means. What does Kirith mean? Cleft. Yeah. So yeah, the like... Basically, Kirith Ungol is the spider's path, sort of. Yeah. Which is and what does Minas Morgul mean? I'm gonna take a stab at the dark. Is it? Nope. Nope. Never mind. No, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm 100 percent wrong because I just realized what I was. I meant. What is? <laughs> what is does Minas mean tower? No. It does. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> I got oh, that I, right. Sorry, I was nodding. I forgot that people Tower can't see of, me. <laughs> Tower of the moon? Well, no, Minas, that's Minas, Minas Ethel was that's Tower Ethel of the moon. Okay. Yeah. Which is what this used to be, right? Yes. Okay, good. See, some of this stuff is retaining. You, yeah. It's cycling back. I think now it works in ways where I remember, like, I, 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 I don't remember what happened in Fellowship of the Ring, and I don't remember what happened in The Hobbit, but I'm starting to remember what happened in The Silmarillion. You do again. remember what happened. Yeah. So uh, another fun fact, just oh, but briefly, since we were talking about... I, oh, I was just going to finish that. Morgul, by the way, we never finish that out. It means dark sorcery. Yes. Um. So the tower of Amantul uh, was one of the locations of the seven Palantiri that were divided in place throughout the realm of Gondor and Arnor. Yep. Yep. Ba- yeah. Back in the olden days of Gondor, uh, it was like, it used to be a watchtower. Amantul. All right. Well, I think that's, that's good enough to get us into chapter nine, Shelob's lair. Um, all I can think about when I say Shelob or when I like read this chapter is how amazing Howard Shore's music is for this section of the movie. Yeah. Uh, his music also is like super based off of Psycho. It's all just like really high pitched screeching strings, well, but it like sets the tone for what is basically a chapter of nothing but ramped horror. up kind of, yeah, intensity. Yeah, that's what, I mean, that's exactly what I think as I read this chapter. Like, this is the closest that Tolkien really gets to kind of horror. Well, there was even a moment earlier on. Oh, my God, we've already just started rolling right into it. Uh, but some of the language that he was using, because yeah. this this chapter kind of just starts and goes. Um, the language of this chapter, I had this, like, realization when I was reading the section that I kind of can't tell what's going on, but then I realized... Oh my, that's brilliant. Because exactly. Yeah, yeah. So good. Like, it wasn't that I couldn't tell what was happening. I just couldn't get my bearings in the world. Mm -hmm. And I just realized, oh, you brilliant writer man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so basically we start off with, you know, last chapter they've been climbing these stairs. And here they are at the end of the stairs, the end of the path. Um, They're walking towards what is basically a wall of stone. Um, and they get to the opening of a cave and they are greeted by just horrible, horrible, foul, awful, nasty, disgusting, wretched stench. Specifically a sweet decaying sort of smell. It's an overwhelming stench. It's an overwhelming stench. And I like, I just, I just love the words here. It says, so they're talking about this, like, you know, 
opening this cave that Gollum is, or they, the, 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 the text is referring to this cave that Gollum has brought them to. Um, and uh, which, by the way, Gollum does not tell them the name of this cave and this tunnel, which uh, the narrator tells us is Torak Ungol, which is Shilob's lair, or actually Spider's lair. Um, but anyway, so this, this, this smell that's kind of emanating from it, uh, it, it says, Out of it came a stench, not the sickly odor of decay in the meads of Morgul, but a foul reek as if filth unnameable were piled and hoarded in the dark within. Yeah. I just, wow, that's great. It's, it's, it's specific. It's a specific smell. Even I was like, I guess I got gravitated towards the the sweet decaying smell because I kind of just imagine my brain even still went there. Mm-hmm. But this like, I just really like filth unnameable. Yeah, which kind of comes back around in a lot of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, that's that kind of like you can't really get your bearings. It's also not something we don't exactly interact with giant spiders. No, on a regular basis, anyway. So we want to know how they smell. <laughs> so there's that. Well, as well, I mean, we didn't, we did in the Hobbit, but I mean, we in in in, in Earth, we, in, in real Earth, life. Earth, we yes. as in real us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what do you do when you find a spooky, nasty smelling cave uh, in the wall of a cliff that is between you and the most evil place on Earth? You go home. Naturally, you go in. You go right in. Um, So it says that they were both really kind of surprised and um, consumed by the space because it was really wide. It was like a fairly wide tunnel, and the walls were basically perfectly smooth, and the floor was basically perfectly smooth. You know, every once in a while, there would be a little crack or something, but it wasn't like... You know, at the beginning of book two of the two towers where they were stumbling through this jagged like maze of rocks. There's nothing like yeah. that. Um, and then it's also described as being kind of an all-consuming blackness, darker than the blacks of Moria, as if not that they were passing through an empty space without light, but rather they were passing through like... A space that like, like a, absorbs a, sound. Yeah, like a fog of blackness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, again, it's that sense of like the space is unknowable and they're unable to perceive anything. It's that dense and that devoid of any kind of like sensory stimulus. So Katie, you might know the answer to this question. Is this past natural or was it man-made? That I do not know. Um, I mean, I assumed it had to be, you know, kind of worn out because a draggy giant spider butt. And that's where <laughs> my brain went to. I'm inclined to, to think it's not man-made. Um, yeah, no, that's a question that I would have to research I actually feel bit. like it would have been man-made because its entrance is right near Minas Ethel, which was placed there specifically to keep watch on, on Mordor. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, no, you so, know what? It could be. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question that uh, were I to have my resources with me, I could look up. 
<laughs> okay, here's what it says on Wikipedia. The Pass Wikipedia. of Kirith Ungol was high above the Morgul Pass on the northern side of the Morgul Vale. In Mordor, the road from Kirith Ungol came down to join the Morgul Road. These routes were guarded by the Tower of Kirith Ungol, built by the men of Gondor after the War of the Last Alliance, but occupied by orcs at the time of the War of the Ring. So, so they were built by so, the men yeah, of Gondor. So they were they were probably built to move in like munitions, or I mean, uh, supplies and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, but no. How it, would they? Pull... So probably, never mind. But come to think of it, anyway, uh, yeah, that makes sense because again, uh, Shelob kind of acts as which we get into this later. Shelob is sort of like a a, a, um, a happy circumstance of a guard for Sauron. Um, yes. So. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. So they just keep walking, and after a while, they feel these kind of holes open up on either side, but they they keep going straight, and they get scared, and they're holding each other's hand. And then they realize, wait a minute, Gollum's not here anymore. Yeah. Uh, Gollum has kind of left them to find their own way, and you know, as as they have been kind of like feeling along the walls, um, and 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 they also start to feel things like draping, like things that are draping down from whatever ceiling that again they don't know is 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 there a ceiling or not, whatever. Uh, like like you know, touching them, you just feel the, you can feel the like creepy tendrils. My my imagination was going to places in this chapter because again, Tolkien intentionally doesn't give you a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And in fact, because they are lost in this impenetrable darkness to the point where it is a great bit where they can't see anything and their um their their uh, touch in their hands and their feet becomes ex- just extra sensitive. Mm-hmm. But eventually that gets to the point where that's almost like becoming numb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, uh, there's this great bit about their senses kind of being super, super heightened at first and then becoming a lot duller. And then finally to like their, their sense of smell is, the strongest sense that they still have because again this like horrible horrible reeking stench is just emanating out of out of the darkness like a flaming trash dump yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and so what makes them realize that Gollum has abandoned them is that they come to a Y in mm-hmm. the path and they're like oh well, which way did Gollum go and they're they like oh my god Gollum's yeah. not here so they decide to go to the left pass and very quickly it turns out into a turns turns out to be a dead end and this is where stuff gets serious also so you know as this all is happening frodo is starting to feel a very strange feeling and he feels like sort of hostility and and danger just kind of emanating out of the darkness and it's this kind of unknowable and unnameable thing but he feels threatened doesn't also the smell get stronger mm-hmm. yeah yes yes the it, smell it, gets stronger uh, yeah. oddly enough it kind of reminded me of a re- earlier this year i reread jurassic park michael Crichton, uh-huh. and a great thing in that book that is in the movie which i feel like had should have been added was the fact that transverse the transverse rex smells terrible and has a it has like birds flying around it constantly because it smells so bad and has got like decaying flesh hanging off it. It's actually a touch they put in the Jungle Book. That's a nice touch. With Shere Khan, whenever Shere yeah. Khan shows up anywhere, there's like weird 
Burr's playing around because he has to smell bad and also death falls and whatever but i got that vibe from this yeah of this 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 thing that smells so bad that it's kind of betrayed in the darkness but Mm -hmm. it's so giant and powerful that whatever right well so yes um so they are in this kind of dead end and they're trying to turn around and it says they had not gone more than a few yards when from behind them came a sound startling and horrible in the heavy padded silence, a gurgling, bubbling noise and a long, venomous hiss. They wheeled round, but nothing could be seen. Still as stones, they stood staring. Ooh, that's a beautiful, yeah. nice yeah. sibilance. Still as stones, they stood staring. Uh, which, uh, remember, uh, we just heard a hiss. So, I a mean. Venomous, yeah. A venomous hiss. A uh, venomous yeah. hiss. God, I, like, I just, I love Waiting it. Waiting Anyway, anyway, we're halfway through the quote. So, waiting for they did not know what. It's a trap, said Sam. uh, And he laid his hand upon the hilt of his sword. And as he did so, he thought of the darkness of the barrow whence it came. I wish old Tom was near us now, Mm -hmm. he thought. Good old Tom. Then, as he stood, darkness about him and a blackness of despair and anger in his heart, it seemed to him that he saw a light, a light in his mind, almost unbearably bright at first. Dot, 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 dot. He saw the Lady Galadriel standing on the grass in Lorien, and gifts were in her hand. And you ring bear her, he heard her say, remote but clear, for you I have prepared this. So naturally, Sam says, Frodo, Frodo. The file of Galadriel. Starglass. Starglass. He pulls yeah. out the file glass, he cracks it and shakes it to get it going. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a glow stick, okay? Uh and then Frodo is yeah, says, Why yes, why had I forgotten it? A light one all over the little a light when all other lights go yeah. out. Um, and of course, you know, Frodo Frodo is kind of like, feels as if he's been pulled out of a trance now because for this kind of for the second time, Frodo has forgotten about this gift and Sam has reminded him. Sam remembers, oh, hey, Galadriel gave you this, this I have this a great theory about thing. that that I'm going to bring up later. Okay. And here, a, a paragraph that I, I went from reading this chapter being a little just like kind of spooked out to crying within yep. the point of the yep. paragraph, which just says, Slowly his hand went to his bosom, and slowly he held aloft the file of Galadriel. For a moment it glimmered, faint as a rising star struggling, and heavy earthward mists. Then, And then, as its power waxed and hope grew in Frodo's mind, it began to burn and kindled to a silver flame, a minute heart of dazzling light, as though Eärendil had himself come down from the high sunset paths with the last Silmaril upon his brow. The darkness receded from it until it seemed to shine in the center of a globe of eerie crystal, and the hand that held it sparkled with white fire. Now, if there's one thing thing that uh we did this project for it is to be yep. for the long haul this, and this yep. chapter is being it is. in it for the long haul because what is he doing but he is summoning the light not just of the Silmarils but of the two trees to an evil spider who it is revealed is in, the like, descendant the is the last mm-hmm. offspring of Ungoliant who if you remember back to the Silmarils destroyed and then barfed the two him up trees but in this case, in this case, the light drives yep. the spider yes. off. See, this yep. is, yeah, this is that beautiful, beautiful, mo- one of those beautiful, beautiful moments where, you know, it, it, it pays off having had all of this. Everything uh, has so much weight. Yep, yep, yep. And it, yeah, you're you're rewarded. We're rewarded here for having uh, read the Silmarillion. But uh, yeah, th- so uh, what I was, I was, I was going to say a thing about the thing oh oh yeah uh this also uh instantly made me think of just you know last chapter where frodo and sam themselves were discussing how we're in this story of 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 that silmaril and this is again like yep here it is (laughs) continuing story (laughs) 
Oh, it's just so good. Mm -hmm. I just love it. <laughs> so yes, um, there's actually a lot of description about how like slowly uh, the spider comes into light. And, and there's also, uh, of course, Frodo kind of involuntarily just cries out a random phrase in Quenya. Um, and it feels you this... shall not pass. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not that one. Um, but yeah, and it's kind. Of, it's a, a really kind of neat moment. And he says, and again, forgive my pronunciation. Uh, he says, "Aia erendil elenian an kalima," which is Quen uh, for in Quenya. And again, remember that's kind of like Elvish Latin. Uh, Hail erendil, brightest of stars. Elvish Latin. It, well, it is. And Shelob's response to this is kind of upsetting to me because um, I mean yeah at first she does kind of shrink back you know yeah um, but but then she kind of like it's you know she she's kind of startled and brought and 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 taken aback by it but also it's like basically she's old and bad and uh, this is not going to be of much concern to her I mean, it's going the, the the light is going to hold her at bay and and startles her and 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 pushes her back, but this is not the last we will see of her. Uh, yeah, she pushes back and then the and then the hobbits run off and continue running to the point where I was starting to actually get kind of unnerved. I was like, oh god, your guys are running in the dark. Oh no, like, <laughs> the bad's gonna happen yeah. because of this. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but well, basically, first you know this this light kind of illuminates like hundreds and hundreds of eyes that now. Frodo can see that are kind of staring at them as as if lusting after prey. Oh, by the way, I was reminded of this while I was reading this chapter. This is great electron microscope microscope picture of spiders' eyes. Yeah, like super close up of eyes. That that image was going through my head when I was reading this part. Super creepy because they look like little. They look more like little cameras than eyes. Like it's they nuts. do. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and of course, yeah, the hobbits turn tail and run uh but of course the eyes follow not far behind them um and w then once again frodo kind of calls on galadriel and kind of brandishes the file up again and the eyes once again stop and then frodo again kind of outside of himself draws the sword sting and he's terrified but he walks towards this unknown danger mm -hmm. that all we know at this point is like hundreds of eyes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love the way that sting was described mm -hmm. in this though, because it said the sharp elven blade sparkled in the silver light, but at its edges, a blue yeah. fire flicked because, you know, we've always been like kind of told about the glowing and, you know, uh, in the movies, uh, I think this is kind of just a byproduct of the, the, cgi at the time but really glows. it's just like the sword mm -hmm. kind of glows blue but i really liked the image not of the sword actually glowing blue but like a, a, a kind of a blue fire blue fire mm -hmm. flicking from the edges um i don't know about you i spent a lot of time when i was younger like lighting isopropyl <laughs> alcohol on fire in jars and just like watching the blue fire like and twist that's and, the, you know yeah, so. that's the image we get it really becomes a moment yeah. for frodo where because they basically, they, they run off for a while and then they're kind of like going back and they realize, what's like, what, what are we doing? Yeah. And he kind of just realizes that it's kind of like a, um, this entire book with Frodo and Sam has been, you know, fight or flight mm -hmm. for the most part. And they usually chosen flight for the most part. They've never like fought. They're not like Aragorn and 
Gandalf and Gimli and Legolas who kind of have been jumping into fights. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Merry and Pippin, to a degree, have kind of gone to fights. This is the moment where I feel like Frodo is like, no, no, not <laughs> enough running. Come on. Yeah, it's Frodo, you know. I got to take care of this thing. Way back in. You know, but you know, Frodo did this once more. I told you that's part of the <laughs> Yeah. See, that's, yeah, this this is, I mean, Frodo oh, yeah, has uh, a, a few kind of, and I like, to, few, I like yeah, to think of right. them as like, almost involuntary moments of heroism yes where like you know when we saw before when frodo uh kind of taunts the 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 nazgul you know basically draws his sword and come at me bro um and (laughs) i mean really that's what it makes me think of sorry uh that was a bit blasphemous on my part but um but and 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 then this moment you know again like going towards this unknown danger this is yeah and and almost involuntary moment of heroism for Frodo. Um, and it's it's really cool. And I like the wording that's given too. It says, uh, then holding the star aloft and the bright sword advanced, Frodo, hobbit of the Shire, walked steadily down to meet the eyes. And I don't know, just like, that's that's, that's a bold move, hobbit. That's a bold move. Well, but you, you we pick up and it says, they wavered. Doubt came into them as the light approached. One by one they dimmed and slowly they drew back. No brightness so deadly had ever afflicted them before. From sun and moon and star, they had been safe underground, but now a star had descended mm-hmm. into the very earth. I mean, because Shiloh's basically been living in this cave and also darkness has kind of blanketed this area for a long She's time. She's been reigning in darkness. Yeah, yeah. and I'll say that for later. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, and, and uh, this is kind of another one of those moments where Sam is thinking, hey, they, they might make a song about this, but, uh, now is the time to run. And they do, again, they turn and run. And, uh, they get almost to the opening of this tunnel and they can kind of see the entrance in the distance. And then they're kind of stopped by this strange force that they come up against. It's that, cobwebs, Mr. Frodo. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's but it's it's the the way that it's described <laughs> at first. It's like they again they 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 can't really perceive it. They don't know what's 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 happening. And it, it's it almost seems strange. Like... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's just that it's a it, it was like a flexible kind of barrier, but uh, you know the even the light of the file wouldn't penetrate it, and it's just. I mean, I thought it was stalactites. Yeah. At first. Yeah. At first, then... again, you don't know what it is, and then you realize. But then they were pushing him against it, and they realized. And then Sam goes to whacking at it and does nothing, like yep. just hitting at it, and nothing happens. It's it, it's described like a, a violin string or something, so, something mm-hmm. along those lines, like something super tight that has mm-hmm. some give, but you're not able to cut it. Yeah, and Sam actually manages to cut one strand of it, and it kind of like Boing. whips out and like <laughs> lashes him like a like a whip almost, and. Uh, <laughs> So then Frodo says, here, let me try Sting. It's an Elvish blade. They had they had nasty <laughs> spiders back when this was... No, actually not nasty spiders. It was yeah. There were webs of horror in the dark ravines of Beleriand where it was forged, which is a much nicer way of saying there were nasty spiders. So Frodo was like, here, hold on to the star glass. You know, don't be You'll afraid. Be guard. Just it up and watch. Mm-hmm. And Frodo is able to pretty quickly go <laughs> snickersnack with his vorpal blade. With his what um, blade? With his what blade? They, <laughs> what was that? I said with his, I said he's able to go snicker snack. Oh, I, okay. I thought you said Morgul blade I thought at that first. Was I was too. like, wait, that's that's. <laughs> no, sorry, I was I was randomly <laughs> deciding to quote Lewis Carroll. So yes, they 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 manage to cut through and they just start running, and Frodo is 
in front of Sam and running, running faster. And there's kind of pass or there's a space running between them. Yeah. There's space growing between them. And Sam is in behind with the file and he kind of closes it. Well, he sees up ahead, he sees the pass, but then he also sees that watchtower that they had kind of peered earlier. And he sees that there's a bright fire burning in the wind of the watchtower. Sam's like, "Uh oh, we maybe could get around the spider. We're not going to get around a whole bunch of orcs like this. He also sees that Sting is glowing blue. So again, indications of orcs. Yes. So he tucks the 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 file away in his cloak and is trying to uh alert frodo and then this is where we get uh yeah we're kind of of left with a a, a bit of a cliffhanger mid chapter of basically sam just having a bad feeling and then we are introduced well not 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 quite entirely introduced but given a little bit of of information about about shelob basically that she has been there for a long time and she knows this area very well, it's too. Been a long... She has been in Mordor since before Sauron. Um, and, uh, I, I, of course, we're told, as as you should guess, is the last child of Ungoliant to trouble the unhappy world, uh, which is a, a very fitting way to describe her. Um, and basically, we learn what she is, that she is a, like, giant spider monster thing who constantly hungers for death uh, and who lives a bloated life just like uh, her, her, her old ancestor Ungoliant, uh, feeding on the blood of men and, and basically devouring everything she can. And that she's been used by Sauron sort of just uh, coincidentally as a guard of <laughs> this passage. And he even has sent off prisoners mm-hmm. to her. Oh yeah, like he, he he doesn't mind to lose a couple of orcs here and well, there. And yeah, yeah, because not only is she a more mm-hmm. effective, because he knows about this pass. So not only is she a more effective guard for this pass than the orcs would be. Um, he has so many orcs, and they're each individual orc is kind of useless to him that she, he doesn't mind if she'll pick one yeah, off. She, just she to, can have a know, couple here and there. But they don't you know, taste very uh, good and she <laughs> craves sweeter meat. Yep, and here at last she's been presented with it. Hobbits who've been fattened up on cheesecake and... <laughs> cheesecake. Breakfasts. Well, what we also discover is that Gollum had indeed come through this pass you know, several years prior and that they had kind of struck a bargain that Gollum would bring her also, food. Also, Gollum probably wouldn't be good much eating anyway mm-hmm. as well. So, I mean, she probably just looked at him and was like, you might taste like foot, so no. <laughs> but also, fun little fact here, uh, while we're talking about, about what we've learned about Shelob, um, the name Shelob uh, is actually just she plus lob, which lob being an archaic English word for spider. So, she spider. Really? Yep. That's hmm, interesting. Yep. Um, yeah, and there's, you know, se- several times throughout this chapter, the narrator uses she to describe her. Yeah. As, yeah. Well, that's the part that I kind of want to get into um, with her as a character because I didn't single it out on my uh, in my copy, but there's specifically some language around her and how Tolkien is talking about her and how old she is and at the level she is that it's almost like she is at a weird same level as Sauron in some degrees 
Like I mean, she's been a like she, you know, she, like their evil is equal in a weird way. She, yeah, she's she's independent from him. Yeah. You know, she doesn't serve. But whereas whereas Sauron hungers for power, she just for hungers death. for exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Two notes. One, it's interesting how spiders are almost always classified as female in our society. Mm-hmm. You know, look at the Black Widow. Like that's a very specifically gendered mm-hmm. term. Um. You know, Louise Bourgeois has her famous spider sculptures, which she named Maman. Or sorry, my French is bad. Katie, want to say that? Okay, thank you. Uh, because she viewed them as maternal figures. You know, spiders weave. We associate weaving with, you know, femininity. Even looking at the story of, of, uh, of Arachne, um, you know, in Spanish, spider is araña, like it's a feminine term. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's that. Um, the other thing I was going to say is it's curious how throughout everything he does, spiders are really the only symbol of, like, uncorruptible evil. Mm-hmm. In the way that, like, there's, un- I spiders can never be like twisted from evil or turned from evil. Like, there's no good in spiders. Yeah. And like, you know, Sauron and and Morgoth, they started good. Yes. There was good yeah. in them before they were corrupted. Where spiders are just kind of like inherently. That's a good evil. point. Yeah, that's something I hadn't thought about. But you're right because I remember in the Summerillion with the part with Ungoliant, she was. She's just always been a, a, a demon. Yeah, a, she was a, unstoppable yep. to a degree. Mm-hmm. A even na- a nasty even thing. even Melkor didn't quite know how to handle her. Like she, he was like, "Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> calm down there," you know. <laughs> yeah. So after we get this background on her, we cut back to Frodo, who at this point is about what twenty yards ahead of mm-hmm. Sam, and Sam sees basically the second he tucks the file away under his cloak, he sees Shelob appear. In between him and Frodo, and Shelob is gaining on Frodo. He's not sure if it's because he has the light and Shelob is afraid, or if he just hasn't been noticed right. by her. So Sam is trying to alert Frodo and starts to yell, you know, Frodo, Frodo, look out, master. But suddenly his cry was stifled. By a slimy hand. Yep. So Gollum has slithered. Slinker and stinkered his way uh, <laughs> back back into the fray and has uh, silenced Sam and kind of you know run up behind him as Gollum often does to like att- to surprise his uh, his his I guess prey I'll call it. Um, However, yep, Gollum completely underestimates Sam's fire. Sam hulks out. Yeah, because. <laughs> Well, first, though, first, as Gollum is kind of attacking Sam, he says, at last, my precious, we've got him. Yes, the nasty hobbits. We takes this one. She'll get the other. Oh, yes. Sheila will get him, not Smeagol. He promised. He won't hurt Master at all. But she's got you, you nasty. This is personal. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Gollum knows Sam hates him. And so Gollum's happy. And also Gollum is technically not hurting Frodo, uh, just enabling Frodo to be hurt. But yes, uh, Sam, as Katie quite eloquently put, hulks out on on Gollum, um, manages to buck back so he lands on Gollum. They get up. Gollum won't let go of Sam's arm, but Sam has the walking stick that Faramir gave them, and he kind of grabs it and starts beating Gollum with it. Actually breaks that walking stick that Faramir had given him, too. He, like, pops him in the elbow, Mm -hmm. and Gollum, like, cries out. And then he like hits it over like his back or something. Like well, that? he had yeah. been aiming for his head. He was aiming but, for his yeah, head, this... but it hit him in the back. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that's what snaps it. 
and base and then Sam, you know, has kind of gained advantage and manages to like take out his sword and is basically about to stab to attempt to stab Gollum. He's he like he's he's out to kill and Gollum slips away. And Sam starts to run after him before he remembers oh no that giant spider horrible thing has gone after master. Well, it's not just that. It says for the moment he had forgotten everything yep. else but the red fury in his brain yep, exactly. and the desire to so, kill Gollum. So basically Gollum has kind of done what he needed to do and Sam at this point doesn't know if it's if it's too late. Yeah. Because he can't fight Frodo. Yeah. And then bam, chapter ends. Last line is so far Gollum's so, plot had succeeded. And I want to point out here too that, you know, our heroes have been in danger before. Like threatened fatally threatened before but it's never been through trickery and we had our kind of first real bit of trickery that we talked about of like Frodo tricking Gollum into trusting him uh, back with Faramir's men right so we had a bit of trickery there on Frodo's part and this now we has been revealed to us of Gollum's kind of long play trickery on them, having lulled them into trusting him. Uh, and now, you know, as we, we knew, this was his plan to lead them to Shelob's lair so that she could kill and eat them. And then Gollum would be free to search the remains and hopefully find his precious again. Um, so, yeah, this is now our heroes facing you know, immense danger from initiated by someone's treachery and not necessarily just by like inherent baddies, just people like, you know, being captured by orcs or being uh, uh, threatened by the Nazgul. That's not trickery. That's just flat out. We want to kill you. (laughs) Sorry. I was trying to find a specific line. I I couldn't find it. Well, we already covered my favorite moment, which if you did not already realize by how excited I was, was that whole payoff with the light of trees yep, versus a, the uh, a pretty, of pretty beautiful moment as a reader. My favorite from this chapter is just that description of the file of Galadriel and uh, like, you know, again, calling upon this image of Arendil coming uh, from the high sunset paths with the last Silmaril upon his brow. Just, I mean, that basically your entire favorite moment. I just love the wording of that, of that bit uh, of, of the file of Galadriel. Uh, it felt timeless. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like we're rooting back again within the Lord of the Rings, rooting back into Silmarillion again. Mm-hmm. Um, not in a bad way. Like I'm, th- I'm saying that purely in like a good way. Mm-hmm. That, that is really cool sequence. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, any other whoa, whoa, moments whoa, from the text whoa, you want to discuss whoa, whoa, before we uh, whoa, 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 diversify? Whoa. whoa. I, I mean, <laughs> this is not my Batman glass. I, <laughs> I'm sorry, who are you? I just really like the backstory for Shiloh. Uh, primarily, um, for one bit that I loved, I, I really, I, I read it twice when I was when I was reading through it the first time, which was um, in the script of her, uh, and I managed to lose it. Oh, yes. And she served none but herself, drinking the blood of elves and men, bloated and grown fat with endless brooding on her feasts, weaving webs of shadow for all living things were her food and her vomit darkness. Her vomit darkness was the thing that (laughs) stood out to me 
because wow i knew that was going to be your favorite part (laughs) her vomit darkness that was that was like a line written especially for chase (laughs) that is so metal that there should be a that should be the name of an album well i mean there her vomit (laughs) darkness would be great that should be a a, the name of an album by ungoliant because isn't there a metal band called ungoliant yeah no, but I, I think there's also a band called Ungoliant. No, they're called Kirith Ungol. Probably. But e- either one. Everything, either every one. I mean, probably. I if only you know happen the band to be listening, a band named Ungoliant or Kirith Ungol or whatever your metal band name is, you should have a an album called Her Vomit Darkness. This chapter might be called Her Vomit Darkness <laughs> concerning Her Vomit Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be way too appropriate. All the listeners will love us. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yep. Okay, so according to the Ungoliant Wikipedia page, it says she has been the subject of several heavy metal music songs. Her conflict with Morgoth over the Silmaril was the subject of Blind Guardian's song, yep. Into the Storm. Um, we're not seeing any bands named Ungoliant, but there is the band Kirith Ungol. I think, so. Maybe I maybe was making that up. I, I knew there was a Kirith Ungol, but for some reason I thought there was also a band called Ungoliant. Maybe I'm wrong. So anyway, I was just going to say... I discovered the most amazing television show this week, and I'm totally obsessed with it. Crazy oh, after yeah, all. Oh, yeah, been you've been about talking that. about that on Twitter, I've mm-hmm. noticed. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It's the most genius thing I've ever seen. It's like somebody probed the depths of my mind and made it into a TV <laughs> show. It's just like every, every, every moment of that show is sarcastic and cynical and (laughs) subversive in a way that is like really like screwball and goofy and sunshiny what oh it's so good sounds weird oh it's so good it's so good it's all you You have to watch it all all. it's so good so good i started two days ago and i'm already a third of the way through the season granted that's like five episodes yeah yeah. How, how big is each season but anyway um, I think it's 18 first episodes, season. so. The first wow. season is 18 episodes, I'm pretty like, sure. A, a, a yeah. Batman series? <laughs> no, it's a 40, it's a hour-long drama, well, comedy, actually. I don't know. Anyway, so good. I also had another weird realization uh, earlier today. You know that uh, Flash video, Badger, 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 that one? Yes. Oh, well, of course, yeah. Yeah. That no. video is... no. Or that Flash animation is half as no. old as the internet. No. Oh. No. It is, isn't it? <laughs> the internet is 26 and that I video is from 2003. I don't. I don't. Wow. I don't. I don't. <laughs> wow. It's weird saying that the internet's 20, 26. That's... Do you know how much time I spent watching that in junior high? I had a lot of friends who kept putting it upon me. I would no, I was one of those kids. Yeah, I would I would people. I would go no, I would just sit and watch it for like five minutes and laugh. I mean I did that with a lot of Y Team D stuff back in the day. Like we're talking oh, yeah. two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well my uh my favorite from the week I was also a TV show that I was introduced to. Uh I just, so I just started watching and I've only watched the first two no two and a half episodes so far but uh documentary now oh we both started watching at the same time it's 
I really like it, documentary. Yeah, it it's is. so it's specific. About, I mean, I, I've always been a fan of mockumentary. I just like I, I made I made I actually I actually made a mockumentary with some friends many, many years ago, uh, in like I don't know, I think junior high, but whatever. Uh hilarious. Yeah, no, I just I I the the the, the first episode's pretty great. Uh I think drones might be my favorite episode. Well, we, though. we both watched we were both shown uh, the Grey Guards one, the exact. I mean, I, I keep yeah. it's not called that, but that's what I keep calling. But yeah, yeah, it, yeah. The, uh, what's it called? Um, I don't remember what it's called. I forget what that episode was called, but yeah, God. It, was about the, it was about the 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 daughter who's played by yeah. um, Bill, Bill Hader, Hader. Yeah, in the, living in the house with the mother, and like she's going on about like her childhood and like. It just got air of creepiness. It to got it. creepier so and creepier, funny. and then the ending of the episode just so perfect. I just you, you should watch documentary now. Uh, not only, I mean, it, you know, if you want to appreciate spoofs of really famous documentaries, like just really hilarious spoofs of them for that, but also just bec- I don't know. I think it's super entertaining, just regardless. Specific parodies. It's like, yeah, hyper very specific, specific parodies. parodies, but but like I think it's enjoyable regardless. I hope they do a Ken Burns one. I hope oh. there's a Ken Burns one in there. Oh man. So I'm looking at other memes from 2003 to see what else is half as old as the internet, and apparently one does not simply. Well, yeah, because really Return of the King came out in 2003, so one I, does not simply was the thing. Or wait, no, fe- our oh, fellowship is. Yeah, but yeah, one does not yeah. simply from fellowship, which just came out in 2001. being a big thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a constant. Yep. Um, that was back when we didn't call yeah. memes. We called them that thing that's funny on yeah, the net. Yeah, that thing that's funny on the webernets. But it, one does not simply is so long-lasting. It's it's a very enduring meme. It's a pretty timeless joke. Yeah, it is timeless. I mean, yeah. It's it's almost like the... Um... No, I'm not going to get into that right now. <laughs> Oh, officially older, th- officially more than half old. Oh my god, officially more than half as old that's as the some, internet is all your base belonging yeah. to us. Which I think that's one. a fat list of this stuff. Oh yeah, I am. But I uh, the Numa Numa dance from two thousand four. Day that hit. We so we experienced little... the Numa Numa dance. We are sad. People. We are. <laughs> Star Wars Kid 2002, so a little. Oh older. yeah, all of we these things are kind of a little bit more than halfway as there old as the no internet. <laughs> we had to download and we passed around on CDs with like. Back in our who... day, we had to walk 15 miles <laughs> both ways in the snow to get our memes. And put on the CDs, not DVD CDs. <laughs> Floppy disks. We had like three episodes of Red versus Blue. We just watched them over again. Three and a half floppies. Until we could go back to the one friend's house who had the internet. <laughs> A horribly compressed version of Don Hertzfeldt's rejected oh, yeah. cartoons that everybody passed around. Uh, what was your favorite thing of the week, Chase? I don't have a favorite thing. No? I went. I walked around in a park today and I ate a massive burrito. That was a good time. <laughs> and, um, you know, made lemonade last night. That was fun. But I think the one thing I'm going to really talk about is I, I saw Captain America Civil War last week. Oh, yeah. My silence is... I, <laughs> Let me preface this with, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. I just didn't like it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm personally, about. there's a point in the movie where I got about halfway into Captain America Civil War where I just kind of went going, man, I want to go home. I'm just tired of this stuff. Like, I just got really exhausted. And mm. it was funny enough, it was during the scene that everyone kept telling me was the greatest action scene ever put to film. And during the gr- supposed greatest action scene ever put to film, 
if you've seen the movie, it's the scene in the airport. I was sitting there watching it going, man, I can't take any of this. We've already seen the greatest action scene put to film, and that's in Mad Max Fury Road. So. Oh, you're, okay. Mad Max Fury Road, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, man, like, again, good movie, but the thing is, the moment you get out of theater and think about it for longer than five minutes, the movie completely crumbles. Yeah. What's good about it is Tony Stark and Captain America's relationship stuff is great, uh, but there was no need for spider-man to be in this movie there was no need literally spider-man serves no purpose you just sit there going why is spider-man this movie i remember that last spider-man movie it was terrible all spidey i don't think you want me to think about this all spidey wants is to be an avenger he's good but i just i just he's good i just sat there thinking man if they got like miss marvel or someone Mm -hmm. that would have been a really cool part yeah, but remember, remember, it was the success of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man in 2002 that yep. launched the yep. current superhero. Yeah, but people craze. are people really like falling over themselves for more Spider-Man. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm definitely not one of those people. Sony I have friends is. who definitely probably are, but I just kept. I mean, again, not a bad movie. Just I got so exhausted halfway through. There was like this when it's like this miasma of like superheroes like punching each other and I couldn't care about the story and I didn't know what was going on my head was hurting and I felt old and tired and sick it was just like when I was just like I just want to go home I'm done with all this stuff I'm not going to see Dr. Str- I'm I had this moment of like I turned I turned to my girlfriend after a minute and said I think I'm done I think I'm not going to go see any more of these movies well, um, unless they like really prove it to me that's the thing that's happened now is what Marvel did so well with the first phase of their movies was that they really made them approachable for people who weren't obsessed with comic books, who weren't involved in that world and who weren't wanting to get involved in that world because the sheer just amount of required knowledge. And they've really lost that by this point, you know? I I mean, after age of Ultron, I kind of was like, I'm going to give them two more movies and then I saw Ant-Man with you John and I fell asleep during it mm-hmm. and thought it was boring and kind of terrible and I was like well I'll give him till Civil War saw Civil War and I'm like yeah I'm done <laughs> no more for me if I want to watch a Paul Rudd movie I'm just going to put on Wet Hot American Summer or they, yep. yeah. or they came together yep or that um, yeah yeah well, and, well the thing is I will say this is Black Panther the movie is awesome you spend. I spent most of the movie going. Man, I'd rather watch a Black Panther movie because that looks like that'd be an awesome movie. And they did something smart. They did his entire origin story within the movie. Hmm. And so the next movie is just going to be a, a Black Panther adventure. So I think I think ultimately these movies I can't. I don't like them anymore. Is because they have zero closure. Yeah, they have absolutely no closure. Well, that's that's how they that's how they keep the franchise yeah, going. I guess so. This movie has no ending. <laughs> it can no ending. Anyway, you know what other movie has no ending? No Country for Old Men. Yeah, but I like the fact it has no ending. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's like comparing apples to balls of granite. (laughs) (laughs) Funny enough, I went back and rewatched that first Avengers movie last night. It's still pretty awesome. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's really timeless. That 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 hero shot or the camera swoops around them all. It's pretty. And then they tried to recreate that in the opening of Age of Ultron, and it just no fell flat. So anyway, uh, I feel like we should wrap this up. I'm a wet blanket. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I like dumb Actually, stuff you're... like Huntsman the Winter's War, though. So, 
Your your comments on the burritos did make me think of one other thing that makes me happy. <laughs> for some reason, for some reason, the catering company at work always like provides a sandwich alternative for whatever the meal of the day is. And far too often, I like both the meal and the sandwich. So I'll have like a meal and a sandwich. And sometimes they're themed and sometimes they're not. So today I had a burrito and also a club sandwich. <laughs> wow. I know. A hashtag spoiled. Katie, you want to take it I'm away? I'm so hungry. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wasn't supposed to talk about food in front <laughs> of Katie. They keep talking about food in front of me, and I'm hungry. Uh, informal poll. Uh, everybody who's listening, you want to tweet at us at Talking Tolkien. What is the best vegetable? Is it red onions or is it something else? It's red <laughs> onion. The answer is red onion. It is. Red onion is the best vegetable. <sighs> well, before we leave... <laughs> <laughs> I would like to give a thank you to our Patreon supporters. Your support helps us to sustain our podcast with expenses such as equipment and editing software and all that fun jazz. Thank you so much to everyone who's able to donate to us. We really appreciate you so much. Uh, where's my list? Here it is. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Devin Mann, Ariel Alm, Brian Osborne, Anna Dunlany. Ji Ying Fua, Kyle Thompson, Michael Smith, Mike Williams, Jacob Verma, Madison Roberts, Aaron Crawford, Benjamin John Macy, Avon McMaster, and Micah. Beats would also be a good answer as well. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. We we really appreciate it. Next week, uh, join us for Chapter 10 of Book 2 of the Two Towers, The Choices of the Master Samuel. And, spoiler alert, well, not spoiler alert, but just, I don't know, whatever. I'm super excited to hear what people think about this chapter. The one we just covered or the one we're covering next week? The one we're oh, covering next week. The covering next oh, okay. week. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that Master Samwise makes some choices and they're <laughs> choice choices. We shall find out next I was, week. I was getting close to like you were saying my name. It was weirding me out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, next week, join us as we talk about those choice choices on Talking Tautology. I'm John. I'm Katie. And I'm Choices. <laughs> beets are also a good answer for favorite vegetable. Beets are um, the bomb. Beets are amazing. No, no, I'm sorry. But yes to Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts, Brussels are, also sprouts awesome. are also amazing. We're Stop. adults and we like all the vegetables. Stop talking about food. I don't think food. it's a I don't like. Thank you for listening to Talking Tolkien. You can find us online at TalkingTolkien.com and you can send us an email to the professor at TalkingTolkien.com. We do our best to respond to each email, so please let us know about your thoughts, theories, and themes you'd like us to discuss in the show. We are also Talking Tolkien on Facebook and Twitter, and we love hearing from you. If you're not already a subscriber, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. We would particularly appreciate it if we would give us a rating on iTunes, as it really helps us to show up in searches and reach a new audience. We also have a Patreon page where you can donate as little as $1 per month to help our podcast grow. Through your generous support, we've been able to purchase many new pieces of equipment, helping us bring you a better-sounding, more professional podcast. Nothing makes us more excited than a new pledge, and we greatly appreciate all the support we've received so far. (laughs) 